You want to be a big pod in the small town? Then fuck off up the podcast village. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is a retro classic. It is dedicated to Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Hot Fuzz. Very exciting indeed. 15 years old, Mm. which makes me feel really, really old and indeed... All the people I've assembled here as well, no doubt. Apart from one person who's really young. <laughs> how how old do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> I am old. I am we, old. We're all we're all very, I'm very old. old. Very old. Uh, my three colleagues of such lethal cunning are here with me today to discuss this cracking movie. Uh, we're joined, of course, by Sophie Butcher, who is not old. Her birthday is on the 22nd of February. Which year? Every year. <laughs> Take Sophie. one of my lines out. Okay. I, to, I, <laughs> I thought you were going to actually know my birthday then. I Get was, out. I was out. <laughs> Welcome, Sophie. Sophie's the youngest of us all here. Uh, we're also joined by Kobe Amanaka. Hello. How are you? Amazing. Good, good, good. Kobe, of course, made a cameo in our um, Edgar Wright Simon Pegg 500th episode. Hot Fuzz Celebration Jamboree. Your yes. voice could be heard asking a question of them. I asked them Very about, exciting. I asked them about the NWA, which is still my favourite gag. It's a great gag. <laughs> ever. Great gag. In a film filled with great gags, yeah. which we will get into. Um, I'm determined this isn't just simply going to be 45 minutes to an hour of four people sitting around a, a bunch of microphones quoting Hot Fuzz. But, you know, if it is, <laughs> I'm also okay with that, quite frankly. And we're joined, uh, last but not least, by our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. All the better for discussing Hot Fuzz. It's a good film, <laughs> isn't it? It's a good is. film. Yeah. It's a really good film. Um, I would say the best Edgar Wright Simon Pegg film. I Ooh. I would say just the best Edgar Wright film. Um, I would say the best Simon Pegg film. But weirdly, what? the sixth best Nick Frost film. <laughs> the 14th best Paddy Considine film. <laughs> the 23rd best Jim Broadbent film. No, only kidding. It's the it's a pinnacle of all their careers, and I'm including Olivia Coleman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And this is like Olivia Coleman was legit just a comedic actor at that time. Yeah. And I, I loved it. She no was too to, legit to quit. Yeah. I just loved it whenever when I saw in, in Green Wing. When I saw it in Green Wing, when I saw it in uh, Peep Show, mm-hmm. she's one of my favorite people ever. When I saw it in this, I was like, I love Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. she's like even better. Yeah. So yeah. it's great seeing how people have progressed from this. Never funnier, though, than, well, obviously Peep Show, <laughs> but then in this, I love the throwaway gag. We're doing it already. But the throwaway gag when they're at the village fate and she makes a strong, um, yeah. a strong suggestion that she's been spit roasted on, on more than one occasion. <laughs> That's me after a few pints. <laughs> no, it's when she whacks the girl in the supermarket with the thing. Nothing like a bit of girl on girl. Whatever oh. she says. <laughs> Everything she says is a, is a single entendre. It is, isn't it? Yeah. That's so why I like the character so much. Uh, uh, hot fact. I was hot, fu- hot fuzz, hot fact. Uh, I was on set Ooh. for that. Ooh. Yeah, I was on set of this movie on two separate occasions. One in a, uh, in a studio where they had recreated the uh, Sanford... Uh, summer was it Summerfield? God, yeah. they've Summerfield. gone. They're, they're the gone now. Yeah, is Summerfield know. gone or is it still still with us? That's how old we are. Um, <laughs> Summerfield was my my student. Woolworths is gone. I know that much. But, yeah, Woolworths is dead. Yeah, 
Yeah. But they had recreated the. Uh, so I saw the. It's, it's okay. It's bolognese. I saw. I saw that. I saw nothing. Nothing wrong with the big girl and girl. So I saw Alice Lowe being hit in the face mm. yeah. with a. Um, what do you call those things? Oh, Alice yeah, Lowe, another Alice person. Lowe, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She looks so different in that. Deep bench. In yeah, this. very deep. Yeah. Yeah. Deep bench, it, uh, indeed. It was taken over by the co-op. So it's not just that they don't have them in London anymore and we're all, you know, m- liberal metropolitan elite. Mm. They have literally been taken over by the co-op. Mm. Forget it, Helen. It's R. Sanford. Summerfield. Yeah, it's Summerfield. Oh, man. Uh, the other day I was on set was for the fence jump. But we will Ooh. talk about that. Iconic. In due course, yeah. I know, I know. They like to bring me on for the iconic scenes. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, before we get into the film, let's hear from the two men who were chiefly responsible for us, uh, the film's co-writers and star and director, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, uh, who did come to our 500th episode, Celebrations at King's Place, uh, for a live show, a live spoiler special chat. And this has already been up on the regular feed. We we gave it to you as a gift. We're giving all the 500th episode uh, content free to people uh, who couldn't be there. Uh, but we decided to record our bit as a as an, an addendum to that. But if you if you haven't heard it, then here's an hour of Edgar and Simon talking about hot fuzz, including some stories that they have never told before. So right. there you go. Enjoy. Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special spoiler special. I really should stop saying special in these intros. Today, February 5th, marks almost 15 years to the day since Hot Fuzz was released, or should I say unleashed, into cinemas. That makes me feel really, really old. But, uh, but it's okay, because it was all in the name of the greater good. Oh, you guys! You've come to the right place. Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's follow-up to Shaun of the Dead, their first film together, is a masterfully constructed, terribly British, and very funny cop comedy slash action movie parody that gave us plenty of blistering gunplay, even more blistering wordplay, and in the central relationship between Pegg's Nicholas Angel and Nick Frost's Danny Butterman, a buddy movie partnership for the ages. It's a movie I quote on an alarmingly regular basis, from you're off the fucking chain, to swings and roundabouts, innit? Uh, To murder, 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 murder. And of course, the now legendary, Yarp. And its counterpart, Yarp. (laughs) Oh, should we not bring them out? We should just, we should just do quotes. And so when we were thinking of a movie that we could give the spoiler special treatment here at our all-day celebration of episode 500 of the podcast, it was a no-brainer to plump for Hot Fuzz. But we also couldn't celebrate it without inviting some very special guests. So please welcome Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg! Amazing stuff. All right, settle down, honestly. Murder, 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 murder. Where did that come from? Who came up with that? This is this is point 15 years on, you, you, you can't remember. I don't know who came up with uh, murder, murder, murder. I, I cannot recall either. I think it's just fun to say in a West Country accent, isn't it? <laughs> what were your writing days like on Hot Fuzz? 
sometimes, sometimes torturous. Writing is great when it's going great and like pulling like your nails out when it isn't. It's just like, I think, I think we kind of both came out with a newfound. Well, Hatred no. of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think like not that you didn't appreciate Agatha Christie, but you really appreciate Agatha Christie when you try and write one of those things because you realize that like, sort of those are so like deftly kind of put together. So I do, rem- I do remember a bit on a particularly taxing day <laughs> where you'd reached like rock bottom and you, bang- <laughs> you banged your head against the wall and you said, I just want to be in front of the camera. <laughs> what a wanker. Um, <laughs> the hardest thing about writing it I seem to remember was the fact that there were two stories that both of which had to make sense. One was Angel's first um, kind of uh, theory about what which he takes to Skinner in his office. And that all had to really play and make sense and be the kind of Agatha Christian kind of, you know, labyrinthine plot. But then there also had to be the, the, the truth of it, which was much more simple, which was it was just the NWA doing the killing. So, but both of those stories had to track together. Yeah. And that was a fucking headache. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? So at what point in the, in the writing of this uh, did you decide to do something this complex? That's one of the things I love about it, the fact that it is, this, as you say, a labyrinthine plot. There's this incredible murder mystery going on, this, this huge conspiracy. And, you know, whenever people were thinking about Hot Fuzz initially before it came out, we just thought action movie parody. And you guys could probably have just done that and taken the afternoon off, but you decided to do something much more complicated. Was that in, baked in from the, from the off? Well, the, f- uh, the first draft for the script was 200 pages long. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was long. I think also it was just something where I guess like we were just trying to kind of, you know, kind of pay homage to everything we liked about all police films, <laughs> you know. So, so it was something where, yeah, the first draft was quite unwieldy and we did a read through with it um, of the whole thing, you know, and then, you know, we went about kind of cutting it down. And then also after we shot it, we kind of, I think we sort of cut down kind of like another like 20 minutes, half an hour out of it. But, um, and there was famously a, a cold character that was lost, which was Victoria, who was Angel's love interest, which mm. we felt initially felt just kind of obliged to have. And then we realized that his love interest was Danny. So <laughs> we didn't need Victoria. So it became a bit of a sausage fest in that oh. regard. There were a cu- but there were a couple of scenes that were written for Victoria where once she was cut out, we just find and replaced and changed Victoria's name to Danny. <laughs> so the whole scene where they're back at like, like Danny's flat and that you don't know how to switch off, that's basically like a Victoria scene. <laughs> but it just worked. It was very simple. Once we'd sort of made that decision of like, something's got to go, let's just concentrate on Danny, you know. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was amazing how he didn't have to rewrite his dialogue. <laughs> That's why. So, so who was the, the driving force behind this one initially? I think it's Edgar was probably just, um, we'd done Sean. Sean was something that both of us had kind of conceived of on the set of Spaced and we'd sort of spoken about it. And, um, but going into to Hot Fuzz, I think you sort of took the, the lead in terms of what we would do next, right? I, I found it, it took me a long while to kind of like, find my way into it and until we started going out on patrol with the cops and, and I started to <laughs> yeah. kind of like find it. Um, but yeah, you, you, I think you spearheaded it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was sort of partly because, I mean, we both grew up in the West Country, but I, I sort of had a 
sort of just a big obsession growing up in Somerset of just like, I used to love watching cop films, particularly like the Dirty Harry films. But watching Dirty Harry films as a teenager, it felt like watching science fiction. You know, it's like sort of like, you know, big like, there's big leap between like Clint Eastman and Dirty Harry and Nick Berry and Heartbeat. Um, <laughs> and so... Hot Fuzz is the like, middle so, of the Venn diagram. <laughs> so I thought there was something funny about like, and, and, in, and in fact, you know, I had done like when I, was in, when I was 18, I'd made a cop movie in my hometown. But in that, it was just like, it was very sort of like- You say movie. <laughs> it's a real stretch, like an amateur film. Um, but in that, it was like, it, in that, it was just, it was like, my friend was just doing like a silly, like Clint Eastwood accent. And it was like an American cop in, in some set with no explanation. But I can't, I can't quite remember what was the idea in terms of like, or what if like, but that was the sort of the, that was the thing that I think I first said aloud. What if we did a cop movie in Somerset, but made it look like, you know, like a big American movie. And, and, and also like the thing, the thing that was fun for us and, and probably where like Simon kind of like locked into it was when, when we started doing interviews with real cops and you could kind of like just, there was so much that we got out of that. And so much of the stuff that seems like the sillier, more outlandish stuff in the script is all like really from their anecdotes. There's a line in Last Night in Soho, which is straight out of one of the interviews we did with the cops. And when I saw Last Night in Soho, uh, I almost stood up and went, hey, I know, I know that. <laughs> I was there also, that he said to you as well. Yeah, he did, he said it to me. Um, we'll have to explain it now. Well, you yeah. explain it. It's your film. <laughs> well, um, Terence Stamp says a line in Last Night in Soho when he's talking about Sandy, and he says, uh, he goes, uh, he says, um, oh, she, she thought she was better than it, but at the end of the day, we all look the same on a slab. <laughs> and he sort of says this really kind of threatening, sort of horrible line. And when, <laughs> when one, of the, one of the times we went out with the cops was uh, we, um, my ex-girlfriend's, uh, uh, a friend's brother was on the homicide squad in Camden. I think it was in Camden, but they, they were out of the, of the Holborn office. And we went out with a bunch of like the murder squad on a Friday night. And we, this just sounds like a made up thing, but the, 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 the pub that we went to with the, the cops was called the three little pigs. <laughs> it was, there was what it was called. <laughs> and, and they were like, sort of, they were really getting on one, like sort of, I mean, it was a, it was a really interesting talk, but the, the white wine was flowing and sort of the kind of conversation seemed to get darker as it went along. <laughs> and at the start of the, at the start of it, one of them had said to Simon, oh, before you go, I've got to get a, an autograph for my nephew. And he brought like a Shaun of the Dead DVD. And then like, sort of as the conversation was going on and getting kind of darker and darker, you were getting a bit kind of, you wanted to go. <laughs> and and uh, so you said, actually, I've got to go and get a taxi. And this, by this time, the sort of the detective said, um, said, oh, and he wanted to ask for the autograph, but also he wanted to make it clear that like, you know, like mm. that Simon wasn't bigger than him. So this is what he said to Simon. He sort of got the DVD, he goes, I've got to get you to sign this thing. He goes, but... I feel like a right cunt now asking you for an autograph. <laughs> I mean, we're all the same at the end of the day. We all look the same on a slab. <laughs> si Simon was, couldn't have signed that autograph faster <laughs> and was out of the door. <laughs> I actually signed it, seek help. <laughs> 
Simon will so be signing so autographs after like that. Like weirdly, like that was that was the one line that I kind of sat on for like fifteen years. Why, yeah, why did you sit on it for fifteen years? Well, there was no obvious place for it in the hot fuzz script, but there was tons of other stuff. Like there's tons of stuff that's like from real anecdotes, like escape swans and the idea of buying cake and ice cream as punishment, and all <laughs> of, all of that stuff is real. There's tons of, you know, we did we did sort of ride alongs and stuff in. We did some in like London, in like sort of um, uh, Brixton. We went down to, and then and then we went on sort of like a kind of West Country tour, and we went to sort of Chippenham and Froome, Froome, yeah, and and Wells, Somerset, where we ended up, my hometown, where we ended up shooting the movie. So, and I find that the cops would go one of two ways. They'd either be quite canny and think, oh, there's like two writers, and obviously like Simon's a, a face could be done si- Sean by this point. So they'd either be really canny and kind of like not give anything away and even like not swear and say SH1T, like thinking, <laughs> or they go exactly the opposite way where they tell us everything immediately. So it was really interesting. And it was, I mean, there were so many people that, there was, I think on the, on the commentary, there's like a cop commentary, isn't there? Like um, <laughs> where some of the people who were the advisors actually sort of talked about it and stuff. They all look the same on a slab. <laughs> and then just 90 minutes of silence. <laughs> no, they, they, they were, they were ones that were really kind of helpful. And, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is in there. And, but you've had a lot of, I mean, both you and Nick have had a lot of response from real cops since, haven't you? I've been let off so many speeding tickets. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I'm not even joking. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, it was really interesting doing those uh, things like the um, the, the in, in unintelligible uh, farmer. That was a true story, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, all the stuff in all the rural stories were much more weird. And uh, the, the 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 urban stuff was pickpockets and muggings. And the the, uh, the, uh, the rural stuff was like tractor theft, a lot of um, a lot of alcohol abuse, a lot of drug abuse. Someone sawed off their neighbor's head. Uh, I mean, it's all good stuff, <laughs> um, but it was it was genuinely thrilling to sort of like be able to harvest this vein of unlikely truth from all these stories. You know, so so certain things like the uh, like the farmer, the unintelligible farmer. I thought some of that maybe came from your own experiences growing up in the West Country. Well, partly like yeah, my my friend's dad like had such a thick West Country accent. I know why we used to call him the penguin. Like, because um, he sort of sounded like a sort of like, it just, but he had the thickest kind of like West Country accent. And you, you, you just have to kind of like see what 10th word you could decipher. <laughs> and I'm, you know, like, so it, it, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's part of the course down that way, isn't it? So in terms of writing this thing, did you have whiteboards filled with sayings, filled with stories from cops? So maybe you, you did write down... They all look the same in a slab, just in case. You write down the unintelligible farmer. How do you begin whittling that down and focusing it into a script? Well, we always do. Edgar and I tend to, to start off in the broadest possible terms, and we usually use a flip chart, and we write uh, all the ideas down and structural diagrams and you know get everything out of us onto this flip chart, and then we'll move, and we sort of get smaller and smaller and smaller, so then we sort of draft it and then and finesse and finesse and finesse so so and, and literally the first thing we do is just get everything out don't we onto a a sort of a, a platform that we can view and and so we don't forget anything mm-hmm. and then i said that as the first draft was so long because we just vomited everything up that we sort of experienced um 
so actually then whittling it down was a, was quite a task. How, how different was the first draft? How, how much bigger in scale was it? Did you have to scale things down once you started thinking about budget or was it always relatively it speaking was, what we have now? I don't think it was anything like set piece wise. It was just kind of maybe the sort of the mystery part of it. I can't even really remember like why it was so much longer, but it was maybe like the, the, the other subplots. I guess there's things that are in the deleted scenes that then didn't like make it like the kind of the, um, you know, the graffiti sort of. Uh, oh yeah, the hoodies. Like, yeah, the yeah, hoodies and yeah. things. There were things that like didn't quite kind of land and that we cut out in the shooting stage, but yeah, I mean, I don't remember, but it wasn't like it was like massively bigger on an action scale. Like we sort of kind of kept that bit intact. Okay. And uh, Simon, was there a specific point um, when you were really clicked into this and you're having all these conversations with cops and I don't know, were you a little skeptical about doing this? Did you have a project you were pushing at the time that you wanted to do with? with no, no, it wasn't like I had a better idea. And, um, you know, ultimately this is going to be Edgar's movie as the director. So, you know, I, I would rather he do something that he was totally invested in than, than try and drag him along to something I wanted to do, which just would never happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so I had to just find my way into it. And I, and I did. And I, I started really getting into shape and, and sort of, sort of um, you know, preparing to be Nicholas Angel and mm. uh, doing my own sort of bits of research. And, um, and I really, really started to enjoy it. So by the time we came to shoot... I was like in the best shape I've been in for years and um, I was very sort of method about it all. So where did Nicholas Angel come from for the both of you? Because he's a very particular character, especially when we meet him. Isn't he's, he Joe Cornish's brother? Well, one of, yeah, there's a num <laughs> no, yeah, you know, Joe Cornish's brother is a, is a, is a, in the police and he is a very much like sort of Radio 4 listening, you know, somebody, we interviewed him and there was something about him that we thought was interesting is that he didn't know any like cop films he wasn't kind of <laughs> so it was that sort of like your kind of touchstone sort of like cop archetype things the sort of things that you know he's just sort of like a serious about his job and not really interested in the fictional version of it and that was something to kind of latch on to immediately so um so he was one of the sort of people who's like this idea of somebody who was just like in incredibly passionate about their work and the idea of com even comparing it to like hollywood movies is something very superficial and shallow you know has he seen Bad Boys 2 since? I don't think so. I'm not even sure he's seen Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in terms of the crafting of the character, were you, how do you write your characters? Do you take, does one of you take lead? It's a very collaborative process once we start. Usually we'll try and get the script onto a screen that we can both see, and then we'll take it in turns sort of piloting the, the, the typing. But we tend to do it, the, the vast majority of it, if not all of us, all of it together. And, um, yeah, it's hard to, I, you know, I try and think about our process. It's hard to kind of be specific about it in a way. It just sort of happens. Okay, so it's, it's not like as you don't think I'm going to play this, so I'm going to say these lines. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, I kind of, but we're both looking. i tell you one thing. Edgar fucking hates it if I put a, 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 a camera move in the stage directions. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Um, but, yeah, as an actor writing, obviously I'm writing for myself and, um, and we're writing for other people. I mean, that got to the point with The World's End that, you know, in the script it was Simon, Nick, Paddy, Chris, Eddie, <laughs> uh, Chris, Martin, Eddie. Chris uh, Martin. Chris Martin. <laughs> he was supposed to play uh, Martin Freeman's character. Um, but then we, you know, you just sort of, I don't know, you key into it. And, and I think all the time we're, we're obviously 
fundamentally our own roles and that we will separate into actor and director once we hit the set. But that's always there when we're writing. So I'm writing myself cool stuff. And But then with, <laughs> you know, with, with, with Hot Fuzz, it was like, you know, I was given Nick all the best. We were given Nick all the best lines because Angel doesn't even fucking smile for 40 minutes. You know, he's not funny. And um, that was an interesting challenge for me to play just because my instinct is to mug the fuck out of everything. <laughs> my, my motto is never knowingly underplayed. <laughs> and, um, and so to actually just be so stoic and, and, and sort of um, unamused by everything yeah. was, was difficult at times. But it's those parts that, I mean, I would have to tell you this but to talk you off the ledge sometime about that. But it's also like it doesn't, it stands and falls on you doing that. And that's what kind of like, it. the other people aren't as funny if you're not as brilliant being, you know, like straight face in it. And that's sort of, I think that's, we're actually, you know, it did have a knock on effect in terms of like when we came to the world's end, you were like, I want to be the funny one in this one. <laughs> that's so, why Gary King is such a whirlwind of stupidity. Just, <laughs> I'm like, going to be funny this time. <laughs> All of Simon's pent up like stuff from from Sean and Hot Fuzz. <laughs> so the, the the idea all along then was to write a killer apart for for Nick. Yeah, and also you know, but not that, but a killer dynamic between the two of them. You know, you, you, the, Danny is this sort of wonderful, cuddly, innocent, you know, enamoured with the whole sort of Hollywood um, approach to, to to cop mythology, and and Angel is the opposite of that, and the, their very relationship sort of hinges on that on their opposition, you know? And so f in order for that relationship, Danny on his own is funny, yes, but Danny with Angel is funnier because he's playing, a lot of the time he's playing off, mm. you know? I mean, the, the, the policeman officer <laughs> line is, is a Nick so brilliant at that. that. He's so gorgeous in that film, Nick. He really is. He's just, I want yeah. to cuddle him. <laughs> <laughs> and was that something that you might, should I ask where that came from or are we, is it too much in the weeds now? The, that line, the policeman officer. The policeman that was all, officer of, all the kind that's of... That's all that jargon, all the sort of vocab. PC jargon, the official vocab, like, the, we, we, we found out about all of that stuff. So all of that stuff that's in the thing about you don't say accident, you say, oh, I'm forgetting my own script now. <laughs> traffic. Well, now it's changed now. You don't say traffic collision anymore. Right. You say, yeah, there are, there are different... It's PC all these, gone mad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that was a good a tagline. That would have been a great tagline. <laughs> um... Yeah, but it was, it was interesting how that was constantly evolving. Police service and, uh, you know, not... Uh, force. Police force, service. No, it's service, not force. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying it's, <laughs> We're just remembering... It's been a long time since we wrote the script. But yes, there was, it, it came all of that out of that research of just... You know, th there was a lot of kind of news speak of things that you weren't allowed to say. And also all of the words that had been made cool through TV shows and films the force, you know, that you weren't allowed to say it anymore, you know. So yeah. there were, that stuff was kind of all gold. One of the things that's funny about Nick, one of the things that's funny about the film generally for me is that Simon is from Gloucestershire. And so you worked really hard as an actor to get rid of your West Country accent. <laughs> and then you do a film where everybody else in the film is doing a West Country accent except <laughs> you. The only person who is from the West Country who's doing a West Country accent is like Bill Bailey and Stephen Merchant. <laughs> like who get to do their authentic accents, but everybody else is doing a West Country accent, which is hilarious. Was Nick ever worried about the accent at all? No, he so. kind of just took, I mean, it just sort of came out on the first day. You know, when we started, we always bring Nick in um, prior to everyone else coming in for rehearsals and stuff and just go through it with him. And then he sprinkles his little magic Nick dust on it as well. And <laughs> there are things that, you know, he can bring to it. But yeah, when he first sort of started doing it, I was 
pleasantly surprised. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a clever boy now. <laughs> Precisely. And uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask specifically about the movie that I've never asked you. Um, the opening of the film is voiceover by Martin Freeman. And we have that montage of Nicholas Angel being a badass cop. Uh, sorry, policeman officer. And... <laughs> Uh, and there's a couple of moments that, you know, you look directly at the camera in that. I always thought that was really interesting, given that the rest of the movie doesn't really do that. Where did that idea come from? I think it was just a way for us to establish who he was uh, very economically. And, um, you know, the idea was, even though Martin's not reading that like he's in the office, but the idea is that he's, he's sort of reading out Nicholas's accolades to him in the office before they go into the scene when mm. they, they um, re... What's the word? They reassign him. Yeah. Um, but the montage, yeah. I mean, you talk about that because that's, that's your department. You, you were writing camera moves in. <laughs> smacking Simon's hand. <laughs> Crash zoom. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I think, I, mean, I, I think he, does look, he does look at the camera later in the film as well, actually. I always like that in movies where it's like, there's a bit like, because I think in all three of the movies, Simon looks at the, you know, it's not something where you're looking at the camera in terms of breaking the fourth wall. It's, it's not more like, like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. It's not like No, that. but it's almost like there's one at the end of the pub scene, at the end of the pub lunch, where you sort of do like an Oliver Hardy, where you sort of like look directly at the camera. Like, um, Is there? Yeah, look when at the end of that scene. But I'm not, I'm not breaking, I'm not looking at the, no, I'm not doing like, Pork bellies, Wait. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> You're not doing that. Which is one of the most inspired glances to camera ever in Trading Places. Um, there is a very funny, you, 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 oh, you, yeah. Tim in the pub. Tim, Timothy Dalton, there was one, his one perfect take that he did in the pub. He accidentally looked at the lens, but it was like the best take. And this is pr probably before the days where it's quite easy in digital to kind of fix that. But it was like a great take. And I thought, oh, it's such a great take, but he looks right at the camera just like buzzes the lens. So we thought we'd leave it in and we just put like a cash register noise on him buzzing the lens. So if anything, draw attention to it. So look, look out for that because he looks right at the lens and you hear a cha-ching when he does it, you know, like, I don't know why that was funny to me, but it always makes me laugh. See, that I have seen, and, but I don't think I've ever seen your little, little glance at the camera. I need to see the, the film again clearly maybe you're in not watching, detail. Maybe you're not watching ITV2 enough. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have ITV2 on them? Perhaps we could, it'll be on any second now. Um, but I was going to ask you when you had uh, last seen the film, but I imagine just last night, <laughs> just surfing through the channels. Is it something that you, you have watched? I, my daughter watches it a lot because she she just she really likes the film and sometimes I'll come in and she'll just be watching it. I I I find it difficult. I do. I, I'm so proud of Hot Fuzz and it? it's it's a film that I, you know, I'm I could have retired after. You know, I'm very very pleased. But I, it's sometimes difficult to watch yourself and um, so I don't always sit and watch it. But you you and I watched it together. Do you remember when there was a the new yeah the New Beverly in L.A. when there was like a double bill of the first two before we'd done The World's End. And it's really fun to go back and there's a lot of happy memories in there for both of us, you know. Mm. So watching it is... Um, it was a tough shoot though, wasn't it, at times? It rained a lot. Yeah. It was, it was, you guys were having fun though. I think it's tougher for... I'd say <laughs> the, the toughest thing that happened, and this is, I think this is, a, this is actually quite a good story. The, our older cast who were made up of luminaries from the British film community and people that we were so lucky to work with, Billy Whitelaw and Edward Woodward and Tim Dalton, all those people... Um, the last scene in the movie when Angel crashes the NWA meeting and they're all sat around there in their hoods and they, it's all that back and forth about, you know, what 
the crusty jugglers and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> it was a night shoot and it was summer. So we had all this coverage to do for on that scene. And by the time we got done on their coverage, the sun was coming up and we couldn't get mine. It was just, it happens, you know, it things took time. Edgar does a lot of shots. Um, so we had- to sit between these two? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, hey, come on, I'm his biggest fan. Um, and so we had to punt my stuff a few weeks down the line. Yeah. Unfortunately, all these actors were done by then. They'd, they'd finished their work and obviously we couldn't ask them to, to, uh, to stick around just for my reverses. So we hired the local amateur drama society to play all of those characters. Now I went from acting with literally the best actors in the country <laughs> to the fucking worst actors in the world. <laughs> so all, that, all those reverses on that scene, when I'm going, uh, you know, I can't remember any lines, but when I'm sort of, you murdered him for that, all that stuff, what I was getting back was shit. <laughs> And I, oh, I, I, I literally went to Edgar on the verge of tears. Going, I don't think I can do this, Edgar. Um, but we managed to get through it. And God love them. They were, you know, so helpful and so sweet. I don't think we even paid them, did we? They just came and did it. They were the local. Yeah. Had any of those people even been a cadaver on Prime Suspect? <laughs> I hope none of them listened to this fucking podcast, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> the worst actor in the world. I thought they, he liked me. Com let's say comparatively, they weren't quite the caliber of the actors who would uh, originally done the scene with. But um, that was honestly one of the most challenging acting experiences of my life. Is that you get what you give, you know, you, you, that's yeah. why it's always important to be there for your cast members when if you hear about actors who, who don't turn up for their reverses they're assholes because they know they're not going to give their fellow actors what they need Bruce Willis <laughs> <laughs> none of my cast members were such because they they'd just already gone it wasn't their fault they couldn't be there yeah okay there you go. It wasn't Bruce Willis, just to, just to be, he wasn't in the film. Man. He actually was yeah. one of the people that did he was, yeah. <laughs> he, Strangely, he's in the Amdram. He's in the Wells Players, and I don't know why. He's got a big tax bill, that's why he's doing eight films a year. I have, I have a story about that night as well, which I don't know if I've ever told this story, like um, not an empire, but it just makes me laugh all the time. I was, I was also having a very stressful time around then because we had these really short nights, and it was really rough. And that scene, that was the kind of scene that kind of broke us was the big NWA scene because, I mean, in reality, when I look at it now, it should have been a fucking set. Like what you actually see, we could have put dry ice and built it and like done it on the stage, but we did it for real at the Bishop's Palace in Wales, which obviously looks beautiful. We had yeah. like six, less than six hours of night and all this dialogue and like 20 actors in that scene. And it was really tough. And the first couple of days of doing it was sort of a disaster. And then we had to kind of refigure it and try and figure out a different way of covering it and redistribute the lines amongst other people. And um, it was also the day that Peter Jackson was coming down to do his cameo as Santa. And the night before had been like a disastrous night where we just like hadn't even got a third of what we were supposed to have got by that. So I was already kind of having a sort of minor panic attack about the next night. And Peter Jackson was coming to do his cameo. And we just thought he'll come and do his cameo and then we'll get him dinner somewhere. So I said, do, we get, we want to sit, do you want to get a table? He came down to Wells Somerset on his, you know, like drove down himself um, with his assistant, Matt. 
and like, but come down and I said, oh, do you want us to get you dinner somewhere? And he goes, no, I thought I'd come and watch you direct tonight. So I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh, fucking hell. Like, we're so much pressure now. Now the director of Lord of the Rings is now over my shoulder. <laughs> then on top of that, there's a really funny thing that happened. And like, sort of, so Peter came to sort of, and Pete was just on set kind of taking photos. And quite a few of the other actors, like Jim Broadbent and Timothy Dalton, certainly knew who Peter Jackson was. Billy Whitelaw, who then I think at that time was 75, like, didn't know and also didn't really care. Like, at some point she went up to him and she said, who are you, Edgar's brother? Like, <laughs> and uh, he goes, and, and then I could see, I could see, like, I could see Timothy Dalton whispering, it's, that's Peter Jackson, the director. Who? Like, you know. <laughs> Anyway, the, be- the best payoff to that, I, by the way, I have to stress this, I love, I love Billy Wilder. She was amazing. And also, Billy Wilder is one of those people who sort of like, kind of is just like, you know, doesn't really give a fuck. She was like, in, in the best way possible. So this, we finished doing the night and actually it goes a lot better the second night. And then the sun comes up at like five in the morning. This is before even the milkmen are in Wells. So we're like walking home. There's nobody on the streets. And I'm staying somewhere at the other end of the high street so I can walk home. I don't have a drive or anything. So we rap, sun comes up, the bird song starts. I'm walking down the high street. And the only other person who's walking up the high street who's sort of been to bed and then got back up again is Peter Jackson. <laughs> so Peter Jackson is the only other man on Wells High Street. And I'm like, hey, I thought you'd gone to bed. He goes, oh, I couldn't sleep. I'm all jet lagged. I said, well, why don't we have a walk around like the sort of, you know, the cathedral and stuff. And then get breakfast. He goes, great. So we walk around Wells first thing in the morning and we go to the Swan Hotel, which is where Nicholas Angel stays, where the actors were all staying. Now, a lot of the actors who were staying there, you were in a cottage with Nick, but like all of the... Call it a love nest. (laughs) (laughs) They were all staying at the Swan Hotel, like Jim Broadbent, Peter White, um, you know, Kenneth Cranham, Timothy Dalton, Billy Whitelaw. And they, you know, because you finish a night shoot and it's like, it's your dinner and stuff. And so they would all go to the bar and the hotel would open up the bar for them. So they were all in there having like a glass of wine on wrap at 6 a.m. And I came in with Peter and I said, oh, what do you want to get? He goes, oh, maybe just get some tea and sandwiches. So we go out to order like the tea and sandwiches. And then Billy Whitelaw appears behind us, who's just wrapped. And Billy Whitelaw says, oh, just get some tea and sandwiches. And then Billy Whitelaw behind him says, and I want a fucking glass of red wine. And I want my fucking glass of red wine before he gets his fucking sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean... Did she? uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not sure she ever figured out who Peter Jackson was, but it was a glorious moment. That's amazing. Um, so this is a ostensibly a spoiler special, so I'm going to ask a couple of quick plot questions. Um, the, I'm sure you guys heard in the intro beforehand when I said the greater good. That happened. <laughs> Has that, does that happen everywhere you go, pretty much? Whenever that phrase gets said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. So we, we shouldn't do that anymore. Somebody wrote I, yeah. it. Uh, uh, the, the, I, it might even be in the last one, but um, Chris McQuarrie wrote, that line into Mission Impossible Fallout, I think it was. Yeah. And I was like, Chris, and I couldn't bring myself to say, you know, people might sort of respond to that because of my film. So I just let it be. And um, so there is, someone says for the greater good, but it's not a fucking reference. And I just didn't have the balls to say. 
See, Take it out. They're learning fast. <laughs> but there's, there's something that, that runs all the way through Sean and Hot Fuzz and the World's End. And it's even part of Last Night in Soho, which is this, you know, the, the heroes are up against this shadowy organization, this, this, this cabal, if you will. Was that something that you deliberately wanted to insert into the plot right from the off? That, you know, this group of the NWA, which guy makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> My my mum, because we were from West Somerset, she was always obsessed with the Masons, and there is quite a sort of big, there is like Freemasons society in in the town that I grew up in, but um, the so I used to work in the supermarket Summerfields as a shelf stacker, like when I was a teenager, and the name of the manager, and this is something you couldn't put into the script because it would sound too silly. His name was Mike Stockwell. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was his real name. And he was really nice to me. And he was always very encouraging when I was doing like amateur films and stuff. But he was also, he wasn't a Freemason, but he used to supply catering to their Wednesday night meeting. How do I know this? Because it's supposed to be secret, but he would go on about it all the fucking time. <laughs> so that's sort of where the idea of Skinner started to come from. I'd be like, you know, like at the end of it, after a shift, you're kind of facing up. So the supermarket's closed and you have to stay on for an hour or two and face up all the cereals or nappies or whatever. And like, I'm standing on a stool and Mike Stockwell is standing behind me saying like, uh, gotta go soon, leaving early today. The Wednesday meeting, <laughs> can't talk about it. <laughs> At the Star Hotel in the conference room, can't talk about it. So he would do this all the time. Like, and he was, basically he would go and like deliver like some like Schweppes tonic water to the Masons, <laughs> like, Meeting, so I kind of figured out. Oh, that's where that's where the Freemasons have their meeting at the Star Hotel on a Wednesday because <laughs> Mike Stockmel has told me everything. When we were, when we were like then uh, scouting for Hot Fuzz, the locations, I went to the conference room in the Star Hotel, and I was expecting it to be kind of like something out of a Hammer horror film. But no, it was the most boring like conference room you'd ever see. And I was thinking, did they sit in here? Did they wear the robes in here? <laughs> so that's sort of where the inkling of all that came from. And you commit to it wholeheartedly. I mean, there's a, a wonderful lack of sentiment in the way that Frank is Judge Judy and Executioner uh, as well. Was that, again, something that you had from the off that Danny's dad was <laughs> the big bad of the movie, ultimately? Yeah, I think so, yeah, because we wanted a kind of another twist afterwards uh, to, to, you know, after the reveal of the NWA. Um, <laughs> Every time. <laughs> easy and, yeah, that's good. Um, after that, there would be another layer of, of intrigue and conspiracy. And um, it's funny, actually, when my kid watched it for the first time, she got it before the reveal. <laughs> she said, he's too nice. He's a baddie. <laughs> She's 12. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I think that was always our kind of... And also how we brought Danny into that, because we kind, of, we kind of play a little trick there. When you see Danny, it looks like he knows everything. You know, it looks like he has murderous intent. But then you find out that, you know, Frank didn't let him in on it and stuff. So we have our cake and eat it a little bit there. But um, yeah, that was always our kind of intention. And uh, Yarp and Narp, is that something that you guys picked up growing up? No, I Narp. cannot remember where that came from. I think it was just... Um, yeah, it was just we wanted Lurch to say, "I bumped into I bumped into Rory at something recently," and he just said, "You fucker." <laughs> <laughs> That's all I fucking get. He's the I'm hound, in Game of Fucking Thrones. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then and then literally the the, the NARP joke just came out organically out of the fact that you know what would what do you say is no, and it, you know that was <laughs> that just sort of happened. But yeah, yeah, we like the idea of lurch just being kind of mono wordic. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if you guys have any questions for Edgar and Simon, we've got about twenty minutes left. So uh, if we can get the lights up, I think we have a roving microphone. Uh, oh, bloody hell! There's a lot of hands. Uh, gentleman here in the fourth row with the face mask on and the glasses. He's just done a double thumbs up. That must be uh, weird, like pointing at gentleman in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very good point. <laughs> he has glasses, though. I do. Um, I was going to ask, what do you think is the greatest cop character then on film? Can you- they say anyone from Hot Fuzz or is that? <laughs> I thought that was an easy out, so. I thought you might say to, uh, Harry Callahan just because you're a big fan of that series. Yeah, I like, I like, um, there's a, I, I'll say Harry Callahan. There's a, there's a good sort of in joke in Hot Fuzz is like Jim Broadbent's character is called Popwell, which is the name, named after Albert Popwell, who's a, a character oh, yeah. actor who's in the Dirty Harry film. Got to know that where guy. they almost complete the best in joke in films, but not quite. So basically, Clint Eastwood cast this actor who's also in Coogan's Bluff, Albert Popwell, playing like, I don't know, no other way to say it, playing a different black stereotype in each Dirty Harry film. So in the first one, he is a, um, oh, what is he in the first one? In the second one, he's like a pimp. In the third one, he's a revolutionary. Oh, in the first one, he's the bank robber. He's, he's, he's a, the guy who says, I got, I got to, to know. know. Like when, when he does the big speech to him. In the fourth one, Sudden Impact, he's his partner who then gets killed before the end. But he's not in the fifth one. And in the fifth one, he should have been the mayor. And then it would have completed that joke perfectly. But I always like that idea is like you've got the same actor in every single one playing a different thing. So that's why Jim Broadbent's character is called Albert Popwell. So let's say, I'll say Harry Cowell. No, the other cop was called Albert Popwell, the, the cop before Oh, yeah, me. yeah, of course. Yeah. Sorry, that's not Jim Broadbent's character. He's Busman. Yeah, he's the one who's gone insane. Yeah, yeah with a great big bushy beard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know for me. Um, cop. Cop, cop, cop. Preferably one that can't be stopped. <laughs> Jackie Chan in Supercop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, easy out. Uh, anyone else? Uh, there's a, Thank you. Yes. Oh, oh, someone's got the microphone already? Hi, everyone. Um, just wanted to know, I watched it recently, uh, Hot Fuzz, I think on Thursday. And like with jokes, like um, everyone, I think the farmer and his mom are packing and that pays off later on. I wanted to know what comes first, the joke or the visual? That's a good question. I think... Uh... I think it's that thing like sort of like, I think that's another thing that sort of came from like the researcher stuff is that like most of the sort of guns, you know, talk, maybe ask a call about guns and they say, or like, you know, farmers and stuff. So I don't know, like, I, I think it's that thing that comes very quickly. We sort of like looking, I think even before we did Sean, there were lots of kind of like payoffs in space. So we're always like looking for something like that. So I think the things come kind of hand in hand. I think something yeah. like that would come, because there was a joke there anyway. There's like the, everyone in their mums is back around here. Who? Farmers. Who else? Farmers' moms. And then that's the joke. But then we would have thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if later on we see a farmer's mom with a gun, which confirms that that was actually true, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's quite organic. And it's not like we kind of have both sides of a setup and payoff. Usually... They, they will grow out of the script and we'll realize later on we can pay this off by reintroducing it at a different point in the movie, you know. So um, I, th- I think that's usually the way it happens, right? I think- I'll be sure. <laughs> it's 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, th- I think 
even more than Sean and, and the World's End, this is a gag machine. Was that the specific intent from the off to sit down and just gag, 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 gag until the end? I remember there was something like, we're obviously really proud of Sean, but I remember there was something that we sort of noticed maybe when we started showing it that in Shaun of the Dead, most, a lot of the gags pay off in the middle. And then when the third act comes, it kind of starts a whole wave of new gags. And I remember like maybe us talking about, oh, it'd be great if all of the gags paid off in the third act. So it is that kind of thing. It starts to hopefully become a bit like a fruit machine playing out and it paying out in the last like 20 minutes where all of the gags pay off in quick succession. So we definitely thought about that for sure. Amazing. Okay. So any more questions? Yes, please. Uh, here in the third row. Thank you. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the film is the Amdram uh, version of Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> With some of the best actors in the world. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I wanted to ask why, um, why that was the play um, that you chose to represent a parody of amateur dramatics. I think it was maybe like because we wanted to do the Baz Luhrmann thing. Yeah, I think we really liked the idea of it being a tribute to Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> that just kind of made us laugh. And um, I grew up, um, um, I mean, having just been awfully disparaging about amateur dramatics, I grew up in, among amateur drama people. And that's why I'm an actor is because my mom was part of amateur drama. So, you know, it was nice. It felt, it was a loving <laughs> dig, <laughs> shall we say. And I, I never, I, I absolutely love it. Never fails to make me laugh. Lucy Punch going, bang. <laughs> I like it when Martin, uh, he, he lies down and goes, no. We're just going to wake up. We, that was actually, oh no, it's the exterior. The interior was shot in High Wycombe. Is it like a little theater in High Wycombe or something? But the exterior was shot at the Amdram uh, in, in Wells. Really? When they walk out and when you see the hooded figures for the first time, that is actually Amazing. outside the Amateur Dramatic Society in Wells. Who was in the hood? Who was in that costume? Many people, but one of them was the actor Tom Cullen. His no first like, job out of drama school. He reminded me of this like years later when I met him. He says, he goes, you won't remember this, but we've met before. And I said, oh, really? He goes, he goes you've directed me. And I said, really? He goes, I was one of the hooded <laughs> figures in Hot Fuzz. I said, no fucking way. Wow. Yeah. At any point, were any of the NWA in Under the Hood? Yeah, Timothy was in it a couple of times, for sure. And so was like Rory as well. Yeah, but otherwise it was just the end scene. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Any other questions? Hi. Um, you've talked about the NWA gag a few times today, which always makes me laugh. Um, can you think about how you, when did you come up with that and did you give yourselves the day off after that? <laughs> <laughs> we used to go and buy records if you were a really good joke. We'd go off to uh, HMV at the top of Oxford Street. Um, no, it was because we couldn't call it the, what is it really called? The NW, the N, what is it? Neighborhood Watch? Neighborhood Watch. You, we couldn't Lights. call it the Neighborhood Watch. Yeah, because that's like, so we, we decided to call it the Neighborhood Watch Association. That was just the joke. And then it was just hilarious to us that it was, uh, <laughs> you know, the same name as Compton's best rappers. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the guy you're proudest of in the film? What is the guy you're proudest of? In the Mine film? is the swear box. I just love that joke because of all the starred out and then he just says cunt. <laughs> also, to go back to ITV2, that joke always baffles me because they, they change Nick saying the C word in the film. They change it to prick or something. Yeah. Right. But they leave in the swear box saying cunt. <laughs> so like, you know, 
for anybody who can read, which is a large percentage of the nation. Like, Not ITV2 watchers, though. <laughs> Really losing a lot of fans tonight, Simon. <laughs> oh, all, all Amdram actors, all viewers of oh, ITV2. God, Bruce Willis, <laughs> lost them all. My whole demographic, gone. All right, oh, I'll choose a hand. Um, there's one over there, right at the end, right at the very end, just behind you. There's, yeah, attached to someone. Good, thank you. Thank you. Uh, apart from in the film, have you ever fired a gun on the air while going, ah? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get to do it in the film. Uh, it, one of my favorite moments shooting was the morning when Nick and I ran around the corner firing off guns at, at Tim and, and, and um, Jim as they drove away in the, in the car. And just the most fun. It was like 6 a.m. as well in Wells. And we were just hairing around the corner with these two pistols, just firing them like little kids. You know, it was like playing cowboys and Indians. It was very, very fun. But no, I didn't get to do the R thing. <laughs> I should have done it in my spare time. Edgar, did you ever get to indulge in that side of things? I remember we did a shoot with Empire at the time when the movie came out. It was you, Simon and Nick. And we had to like, do you remember this? We had to jump off mats and stuff and turn around and twist the camera. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've actually ever, I've never fired a gun. Like sort of even like, like, even on a shoot, like sort of, I haven't done it. Wow. Does anyone have a gun? <laughs> we could, a lifelong dream. We just straight to the stage where everyone's dead. <laughs> No podcast 501. <laughs> a hell of a way to go out. Uh, all right, more hands. Oh, my word. Edgar, do you want to choose someone? Um, it's difficult to kind of like, so with everybody that I'm asked for, it's difficult to differentiate. Um, let's go like... Uh, let's uh, have a lady. Yeah. We've had several men. So when you're making a parody film, how do you choose which films specifically to parody? Do you have like a massive list and you have to pick from them? Or? I think when we were doing this one, I think we sort of like watched so many films. It was that thing where it starts to become like osmosis. Like because it's almost like that kind of monkeys and typewriters thing. Because obviously when you watch like, I mean, I think I watched maybe like a hundred movies around that time. And of course, there are several archetypes that come up all the time and so many things that are in so many films. So there's a certain point where it's sort of, there are sometimes specific references, but sometimes it's just like what kind of just you pick up by osmosis and stuff. Well, you also, I remember we read like Roger Ebert's book of movie cliches. Yeah. And we tried to put in as many of them as we possibly could. <laughs> Particularly feedback on Mike. <laughs> feedback on Mike at a public event which uh, after we did it every time it's in a movie it really bugs me yeah. in a scene where somebody's ner nervously about to do a speech and there's feedback on the mic you go oh come on <laughs> and it's usually the same sound effect we used as yes, well yes exactly <laughs> it's interesting because I, I, I'm always sort of the word parody I, I always slightly kind of um, um, what's the word I don't want to say wince it's that kind of thing just because we don't like certainly with Shaun of the Dead, it often gets called a parody zombie film. It's not a parody zombie film. It's a zombie film. Uh, if it parodies anything, it parodies rom-coms, you know, those kind of dynamics. Hot Fuzz is much more parodic, if that's the word. But we're not in the market. We're not in the same sort of um, creative dynamic as like the scary movie people who will take very specific movie references and recreate them so that you go, oh, I know that. It's from that. 
with with hot fuzz it was much more the kind of the ethos and the tradition and and those clichés that we somehow all know rather than actually saying oh let's do that sequence from lethal weapon or whatever I, having said that we did actually use the the music from lethal weapon when they activate <laughs> the sea mine but um it's 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 we're, we're less comfortable getting gags simply from familiarity than we are from actually you know something a little more nutritious <laughs> We have about seven minutes left. I'm going to choose someone this time. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Keep your hand up, sir. Yes, you with, yes, the mask. You with the blue mask on. It's a nice mask. Is that just one of those medical masks? Anyway. Yes. Okay. Good. Thank you. Going back to recreating the shot in Point Break with Danny Butterman firing a gun up in the air going, ah. What would be a film you would like to remake and why? I don't know. I always feel it's always more interesting to remake films that perhaps didn't quite reach their potential on the first go rather than remake something which doesn't need to be remade, you know. Um, or you perhaps put a different spin on it. I'm thinking about something like The Thing, you know. The Thing is a remake, but it's one of my favorite horror films ever. But it did a completely different thing with the Howard Hawks original thing from Another World. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of... I don't know how I feel about remakes, really. Edgar, you'd have a, a strong opinion about that, I'm sure. I have a current bugbear is that um, of remakes with the same title as the original. Like, there's three different movies called Halloween now. It's very confusing. <laughs> and two different movies called Scream. Yep. So, I don't know. I mean, I think sort of... I, I think that's the thing is I think, like, the, we, we were kind of, I think, spoiled growing up where there were, like, some really good remakes. The F David Cronenberg's The Fly... Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm -hmm. like John Carpenter's The Thing, like the really sort of, did, I mean, sometimes I think more, more recent ones seem to sort of just be kind of like just doing the same thing, but just for a sort of a younger audience who maybe didn't see it at the time. So I don't know, but I, I, I agree with Simon. It's usually it's something where maybe if something, either you do a completely wild take on something or you do something that wasn't that well done before or, or, or is like a, a great idea in a maybe otherwise not great movie. I mean, why remake Point Break? Why remake Robocop? It just seems that the, the, the reason for doing that just seems exactly what Edgar just said, which is maybe some people didn't see the original. Well, they fucking should. <laughs> I think that's the answer. I just realized we might be getting into the sort of territory where people one day might go, hey, let's remake Shaun of the Dead or let's remake Hot Fuzz. How would that make you feel? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. And on that note, that's it. <laughs> no, we got, we got a couple more minutes. Uh, SH1T. Uh, yes, please. You, sir. Cheers. Uh, I work in locations, um, and I have a location-specific question, if that's all right. Um, having kind of based the movie and filmed the movie in an area you knew from growing up, at what point do real-life locations and kind of the practicalities of it kind of merge in for you? Like, where... Does the setting come in the writing process and are you thinking of specific things in places? Well, it's funny you mention that because I'm from Wales, Somerset, and I kind of obviously wrote the script with that in mind. And in fact, at one point, we went down to Wales, Somerset and wrote some of the scripts. We rented a flat in, above, above the market square and like wrote for maybe a week or two weeks. But I never thought we'd shoot there because I thought because of the nature of the script saying that the townsfolk are xenophobic killers that maybe <laughs> that they would not be happy about that. And so it ended up as we went, we did a big, 
this is what's really dumb is we, me and the location manager, Ben, went around the country, mostly around the southwest, looking for another towns. And it was just kind of staring us in the faces like Wells is the best option. And I have to say that they were like really on board and they're like, you know, you can do like a hot fuzz walking tour now. <laughs> and I was sort of terrified about people kind of like finding out about the content of the script and us getting in trouble. And when we were shooting that scene, the sort of the, the same kind of near disaster scene in the Bishop's Palace, we had not given the script to anybody in the town because of that fact of like, they'd say, hey, this is about us. Like, um, hey, was that a phobic killer? This is about <laughs> us. <laughs> So when we're shooting that scene, just to add extra pressure on top of Peter Jackson being there, the location manager says, ah, the Bishop of Bath and Wells would like to come down and watch you filming. <laughs> so I'm like kind of going, oh no, now, now we're in trouble. Like the Bishop of Bath and Wells is going to come down. He's going to see the scene where they're talking about the conspiracy <laughs> and like saying, what is this movie? How is this portraying Well Somerset? And so we were shooting that scene and the Bishop of Bath and Wells also came down to the set in full regalia as well. And then this genuinely happened. Is that I'm watching, I'm sort of looking at him out the corner of my eye, how is he going to react to this scene? And after the first take of the scene, he brings out a fun camera from his robes. <laughs> he winds it on and he starts taking photos. And he was like perfectly happy. I thought you were going to say machete then. <laughs> <laughs> I had weird things though because I was from Wales. I hadn't lived, my parents had moved out by that time, but there were strange things that happened during the shoot. Like, I'll tell you two stories quickly. Uh, and now I do have something to play before we go. Um, okay, two stories. It's like, one was, uh, we're shooting a night shoot in the, in the car park. I think the bit with you and, and Nick and Ron Cook, where you're like walking him home when he's drunk or carrying him home. And this is the kind of thing that happened is that I used to live in uh, a street called Southover. Uh, 40 Southover is where I used to live. And so in the middle of the night, like sort of three o'clock in the morning, this couple comes up to me and says, are you Edgar Wright? I said, yes. I said, did you used to live at 40 Southover? I said, yes. He goes, here's your post. <laughs> and it's ha- true. And handed me a massive pile of, of just like the, all of the junk mail that I hadn't seen in like. And then there's another thing. This is like a true story. So when, when I used to work at the supermarket, there was a friend of my, he was in my brother's year. His name was Darren Curtis. And I was making amateur films at the time. And I'd been on like going live at this point as a 16 year old. And I'd sort of like won a competition on TV. So I'd been in the local paper, the Wells Journal. But I was working as a shelf stacker in Summerfield. And this guy, Darren, his joke to me would be, so I'd be like standing on a stool facing something up. Well, my supermarket things revolve around stools. But he'd come up to me and this is what Darren would say. He goes, excuse me, are you the famous director, Edgar Wright? (laughs) That would be his joke every week, pretending he was like an autograph hunter. This is in 1991. <laughs> Cut to 2006. 15 years later, we're shooting the scene, the night shoot, where you and Danny are outside, like about to go back to Danny's place. And I hear this voice and he says, excuse me, are you the famous shelf stacker, Edgar Wright? <laughs> <laughs> Now that is, it's worth stressing that I hadn't seen him in the 15 years in between. That's a better payoff than anything in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I mean, I just had to say it's, thank you, Darren, for an amazing callback. That is extraordinary. Um, and we do have something to play, don't we? If my battery hasn't died. Better see. not have done. Oh, Lord. So, Does anyone have see. a battery charge? No, I think we're going to be good, okay. We're good, we're good. 
All right. Okay, let me turn this up and make sure. You want to put some? Con- should we contextualize this? Yeah. Well, there was supposed to be a third person here today, um, Mr. Nick Frost, and he couldn't make it, and he'll, now he'll explain why. Let's see if I can get this up. Hey guys, hello everyone here at the Hot Fuzz thing. Um, happy birthday, Empire Podcast. Um, I'm so sorry, I cannot be there. Um, I couldn't wait to see little Simo, little Eggy. And uh, we were going to go and have a lovely meal afterwards, but that's now been ruined because of something called COVID, um, which my three-year-old has contracted, sadly. And we're all feeling a bit achy. So I hope you have a lovely time. If I have to, I'll try and keep this short, I guess, because Edgar might be holding a microphone to his (laughs) phone. Um, I love making hot fuzz. I thought it was really amazing. And I felt like we were a little Lars von Trier-style gang of filmmakers kind of shacked up down in Somerset, you know, like there was a, a guy called Tom who was a carpenter who was an amazing trumpeter and he'd play the trumpet all the time and then like we'd we bowled against the town and stuff. <laughs> it just felt like a really amazing summer and I really liked the fact that we went to do night shoots and because it was the summer, we couldn't start till about 11 and we probably had to wrap it off three. I was like, oh, my God, I love it. Okay. Um, Simon and I had a lovely little cottage with a pool, weirdly. And we did a thing called breakfast wine if we did night shoots, which was great. We got in the pool and drank wine at 7 a.m. Um, you know, getting to hang out with Paddy and Bill and Kevin Eldon and, you know, Olivia and, a great big bushy beard. Is that the <laughs> lovely Jim? Jim was very quiet. He loved his um, crosswords. Um, I'm bubbling. You know, there's a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up. Um, all of these things. I just really, really loved it. Um, if there was a downside, it was one of the times Simon and I had a really big argument. <laughs> um, we were sat in the police car waiting for... Um, Lucy Punch's character and her partner, my mind is terrible, to whiz by when we had like the speed detector. And for some weird reason, Simon and I had like a massive fight in the car. And like at one point, someone had to like point at their ear to say that we're mic'd and everyone could hear us. <laughs> and then we just, we didn't talk for two hours. It was weird. Um, good times. Good times. Anyway, listen, um, maybe Empire, you can come and do a Hot Fast special. Um, just me without those other two jerks. One of which has just got two BAFTA noms. <laughs> um, have an amazing time. And um, if you're going to go and eat Edgar and Simon, just send me some pictures of it. I'm stuck in here having to clean spinachy shit from a six month old Anu. Uh, bye, guys. Merry Christmas. That was like uh, that was like an answer phone message my gran used to leave. Me. <laughs> I'm sorry to report that since he left that voice note, Nick Frost has passed away. <laughs> I was going to say that's what it sounded like. It's like he's dead. <laughs> we did have a row, but it was. I think it's probably the only one, maybe one of the three we've ever had. But it, it wasn't serious. He's. You remember what it was about? We were just sick of each other. 
<laughs> we were living together, working together. You know, it's strain on a relationship. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, uh, uh, this is it, I'm afraid, for the Hot Fuzz spoiler special, but it has been a ton of fun. I'm going to say goodbye now to famous shelf stacker Edgar Wright. <laughs> and famous, absolutely. And of course, famous writer and actor Simon Pegg. They all look the same on a slab. Thanks so much for coming. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Murder, 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 murder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, so that was Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. Uh, Now let's talk about the film uh, Kobe. Yes. Who was an extra in Straw Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Helen portrayed a cadaver in Prime Suspect. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Where did you first discover this movie? What did the first discover? Well, yeah. I think where and when? I want places and times and dates. It was a cinema in Manchester, um, probably Didsbury, Cineworld, uh, with some friends. And it was lovely. Um, I missed out on Shaun, Shaun of the Dead in the cinema. And of course, it retrospectively was a huge, huge spaced fan and loved everything that um, Edgar Wright did. So I was there like pretty much first weekend for this. And it did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. Like I said at the start, this is probably my, my favourite um, Edgar Wright and certainly my favourite Cornetta trilogy. Um, mm. It's just gag-heavy from start to finish and it mm. just escalates all the way through to, to the end. It's magnificent. Mm. Helen, when did you last see it? I was seeing the ITV2 this morning. No, I did watch it uh, s- since the live show, actually, so I've seen it in the last couple of weeks. I... Um, I knew about this from very early on, so I don't remember if it was when they came in for a web chat about about Shaun of the Dead, but it was fairly soon after that that Simon and Edgar told us they had this idea for another movie and it was going to be hot fuzz. And then, God bless him, every single time I saw either of them for the next couple of years on a red carpet or something, because we used to cover premieres a lot. I, mm-hmm. I physically, as the youngest and, and, and most junior member of the office at that time, would often be the person on the red carpet at premieres waiting for people to turn up. And if I saw, you know, <laughs> Simon Pegg or Nick, or Nick Frost or Edgar Wright go past, I'd be like, ooh, What's the news on Hot Fuzz? And they were like, we wish we had never told you anything about this. We have been hounded ever since. Um, so, so yeah, so I knew it was coming for a very, very long time. And was very, very excited about it as a huge Space fan as well, a yeah. huge Shaun of the Dead fan. And I remember initially I was very pro. I was always pro about this film, but I preferred Shaun of the Dead. But over the years, it's gone up and up, so it's now level. Okay. Level? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Sophie? Well, am I right in thinking that these are 15 certificate films? Shaun of the Dead this and Hot is, Fuzz. Yeah. Okay, so, so you were five at the time I, or something, were you? I don't. I So I wouldn't have been able to go see them in the cinema as I was not 15 um, when they came out. It's I'm absolutely sorry. fucking disgraceful. Why is she allowed? <laughs> you, drew, you drew me into saying it. Um, but like we joke about ITV too, but that is, that is where I discovered these films. Like me and my friend, I know we just used to, every time... We were at each other's houses. We, we'd see it was on. We'd watch it. And that was how I'd watched it so many times. And I think it was around the time where I was really like getting into films. Mm. And so mm. because they're so like meta, so like referential, so intelligent in that way, it was like the first sort of wave of films where I was like really getting into that sort of thing, getting into mm. cinema. So they have a very fond place in my heart, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Had you watched Spaced or I haven't Shaun watched Spaced. No, no. Some of it's set in Camden. 
Is it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. There's an episode mm. just on Camden. Oh. No, I'm not familiar with space. Uh, oh, yeah. well, still. You're, you're in for a treat. <gasps> yeah, I have I some DVDs. I'll lend you. Mm. Okay. Yeah. DVDs are the little discs. <laughs> right. that people, oh, yeah. oh, you'll no. need a player. You'll need a player. Not the mini discs. They're inside a piece of plastic. Oh, no. Inside. You definitely won't understand so, what yeah. those are. <laughs> like, I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, They're probably we'll, streaming somewhere. It's we'll try and hook you up. We'll try and hook you up with uh, with some lovely DVDs of space. Only 12 episodes. Not that long. I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah six hours. That's like three hot fuzzes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, so you could, you could, you know, that's just, that's just ITV2's natural playlist <laughs> ITV2 is the only station I've ever seen interrupt the news to bring you hot fuzz <laughs> <laughs> and now live from Sanford yeah we, <laughs> we, <laughs> we interrupt this we interrupt this news bulletin to bring you some hot fuzz oh my word uh, two anyway. motorists have just been decapitated uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is a swan loose it is it is such a cracking film uh, I I do love this unreservedly, which is weird because it is a comedy that's over two hours long, and that's mm. usually anathema to me. Mm. It's very rare to get a comedy that that um, manages to uh, keep it keep keep the interest running for for that long. I always find it. I don't know if you guys find this if you ever go see stand up shows or or anything like that. But there's a point where your face just becomes just generally tired with of doing <laughs> yeah. this, doing this the entire time because you want to be encouraging so to true. the the act, especially if they can see your face. Um, and I think comedy, film comedy, tends to be the same. And Hot Fuzz is interesting because you know, I told you it wouldn't just be a quote fest. Uh, you know, I do want to talk about the film and why it's such a great film. Mm. You know, Hot Fuzz is an interesting film as well because it is relentless mm. in its yeah. guy I said this in the interview with uh, with Edgar and Simon, but I I think it's uh, on a on a joke by joke basis. It's extraordinary. There's there's one every few seconds. If mm-hmm. if one doesn't land, don't worry, folks. There's going to be another mm-hmm. one along in yeah. a minute. And they are, you know, I think the screenplays for for this and for Sean and and for the World's End, which I think is probably the one that's that's seen by most people to be the weakest of the trilogy, but it's still as a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's extraordinary. Is, yeah. Incredible in the layering, in the setups and the payoffs and the callbacks, and just these things are meticulously constructed. And Hot Fuzz is that as well. It's just it's it's a beautiful, beautiful screenplay. Yeah, and I think what also helps it land and what helps sustain it over that running time is yes, the jokes are relentless, but there's a lot of other stuff going on as mm-hmm. well. There mm-hmm. is a lot of almost horror, mm-hmm. but certainly a, a tribute to British thrillers of the past, if not mm-hmm. outright horrors, although in some cases outright horror as well, oh, right, like yeah. The Omen, 100%. Um, well, also The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man, exactly, yeah. yeah. Wicker Man, yeah. The, the, all of Jello. those are in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so it's it's playing with all of those. It's also kind of building in a, a mystery. It's also mm-hmm. the fish out of water. It's also the action movie that, you know, that uh, Danny Butterman de- desperately wants it to be. <laughs> so it's got all of these other elements that kind of keep mm-hmm. it going as well and kind of feed in and yeah, multiply the comedy. It's also that friendship between them, mm. um, this, that sincerity between them. I loved how Ed, um, Edgar and Simon talked about how they were going to have a love interest, but then they just swapped all the scenes to the ones between <laughs> <laughs> between Danny and Nicholas. I just think that's brilliant. Um, and there's that really like lovely core of it that sort of keeps you going as well throughout all the... The mm. lighthearted stuff yeah. and the horror stuff. I can help you switch off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you said, the layering there is so is so well ingrained to it. And the first time I watched that, I kind of thought, well, the first half kind of drags a bit, and then it kicks up in the end. But the first half is still amazing. Mm. But this sets up the way it kicks off at the end, from when Mister Treacher pulls out the shotguns from from yeah. his from his 
overcoat and that's set up in the first kind of 15 minutes like look at him what's he up to mm-hmm. that, that kind of layering is amazing and when Edgar was talking in the in the special about um, who else is packing farmers wives are packing and then then you have the payer for the farmers wife mm-hmm. packing and then yeah. <laughs> Simon Pegg drop kicking in the face <laughs> you, that's how that's how well laid it is and when you it's compare it to things like airplane, just, where they have lots and lots of gags, yeah. it's just it's just, gang, gang, it's gang, just gang, isolated, gang. isn't yeah. it? But yeah. then it just kicks in. It's, it's the detail. It's the detail and the, just the scrupulousness mm. of that scripting is is off the charts. <laughs> I mean, literally, the quote I started the podcast with, you know, want to be a big cop in a small town from the fuck off up the model village, is literally <laughs> what happens what in yes. the film, yeah. and and even even the way that um, what happens to Simon Skinner in the end, where he impales himself, oh. yeah. he is the guy who pushes the spire onto Tim Messenger and then he gets the same miniature spire embedded in his face later on. I mean, it is just glorious. Well, the first time you see Skinner, he's running past Simon, Simon Pegg. Yeah. Angel saying, we're slashing everything. And that's, that's <laughs> I'm a slasher. Of course, right from the start. <laughs> yeah. He's a glorious villain, Dalton. I, I love this. He's, he's my, as I've said many times on the podcast, he's my favourite James Bond and he is absolutely my favourite Simon Skinner. Uh, and yeah, even down to the jug, which is lifted from Airplane, of him standing in front of his own portrait oh. in, in, the, in the same way. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Amazing. Catch me later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the one of the things I love most about it is it's Pavlovian. So if you say to anyone who loves this film or has seen it more than once, and you say the greater good, the yeah. greater, greater good. good, yes, you see, yeah, straight away Pavlovian, <laughs> Chekhovian, with mm. all the payoffs and yes. the setups, yeah, yep. yep. it's gory. They like said mm. the model village uh, impaling on the spot. That's grim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tim so Messenger. Good. Tim Messenger is grim. It is yeah. grim, and these are the things that help it sustain all the way through. It's just like I say, it's not just a gag fest. It's literally this is a proper film. Sorry, it's a, it's a proper film. It's a Chekhov sea mine. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. I beg your pardon. Sea mine. Wow, well, sure, my headphones will work in there. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you all saw the uh, the thing that happened in, in Wells for real during the the massive storm a couple of weeks ago. Oh yes. God, yeah, and someone um, recorded the spire just it actually fell off didn't it it yeah. fell off yeah. Yeah. yeah but and Edgar Wright was like this isn't the actual church yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter though it doesn't matter yeah. you know You know, Adam Buxton was sadly standing under it and yeah <laughs> everyone was like is Adam Buxton okay because yeah. everyone checked in on it <laughs> it's incredible have you ever been to Wells no in Somerset one of the things I love about one of the things I love <laughs> about Edgar, 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 Edgar in uh, Edgar in interviews listen back to any, any interview not just the one he did with us but any Edgar Wright interview if he mentions this film at all he doesn't just simply say Wells mm. he says Wells That's Somerset every single time <laughs> it's like his home, it's his hometown it's like, it'd be like me going Banbridge County Down uh, in Northern Ireland uh, which is actually true but yeah Wells is uh, it's a lovely place I was there for the uh, filming of The Fence Joke mm-hmm which it remains one of my favourite days on set of something. Just watching Nick Frost <laughs> blunder through that fence was, was just glorious. I think I also saw the You Mother's Gag. I did see the You Mother's Gag uh, being shot as well. That was, that was lovely. But Wells is great. One of my best friends from university also comes from there, so I've been there a few times. It's a lovely, lovely place. And they do um, Hot Fuzz walking tours. So you oh can stay God. in the swan, <laughs> which is wow. which is great. You can stay Tag. in the swan, you can walk around. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. I just like crosswords. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I've got a crossword for you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's such a 
that's one of the things about it. It's got that such lovely sense of specificity, mm. uh, and you can tell it's, it's got this incredible affection for where they grew up. You know, because uh, Simon Pegg grew up in a town that wasn't too dissimilar as well in Gloucestershire, uh, but Edgar grew up in Wells in Somerset, and you know, and it it just it, all that just seeps into the bones of the piece. Yeah. Like okay. all the all the, there, there there are no terrible roles in this. There are no minor roles in this. Mm. Every every other character feels like really really acutely observed even yeah. down mm. to the farmer who is got such an incomprehensible accent <laughs> <laughs> yeah and 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 it yeah i love that sense of place and i think that's really important i think it's one of the things that studios sometimes flatten about films you know they want mm. a relatable every place yes. and actually you don't want that what what's interesting and powerful about storytelling of any sort, not just films, is taking us somewhere we don't know and introducing us to a, a bunch of people who would literally murder to win Best <laughs> murder, Village. Murder, 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 like that, that's, that's much more interesting than just having, you know, a and generic town. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. And and also the the, the 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 way that people do take those competitions seriously is inherently funny. So it's just it's a great punchline for the for the motivation. I also like to use hot fuzz as a verb. Like whenever me and my friends have gone into a pub, that we're like, oh, let's check out this pub, and it's actually full of like local like old geezers, and they just turn and look at you, and you're like, yeah. younglings. We're being, we're being hot fuzz here. We need to leave. <laughs> we don't belong here. <laughs> Obviously not now, but back in the day when you were even younger than you are mm-hmm. now, did you did you do fake IDs? Did you do it in, the, in that way? Oh yeah, we had fake IDs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You get challenged yeah. on them by overficious policemen. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. It was normally to get into the cinema, actually. Ah. Where you'd like, I tried idea. that once for the cinema, yeah. But unfortunately, our cinema was a bit too local. It was, mm. it was a bit nerve-wracking. But, um, <laughs> but very funny. I, I grew up near a very big club in Northern Ireland called Kelly's. And everybody would go to Kelly's. Now, everybody who was like from out of time would go on a Saturday night. We'd go on a Friday. But you still needed your fake ID to get in. I, I grew up in Port Stewart. Port Stewart. Port Stewart, County Derry. There we go. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, if Can't you, do if you technically, but I don't no, <laughs> but if you went, if you went to to Uh-oh, Kelly's, guys. <laughs> what's happening here is uh, goes back away, way back. <laughs> but if you went to Kelly's in Portrush County, down. Sorry, what are you talking about? Portrush. Portrush. Can't it? No. Antrim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. County Antrim. Yeah, if you went to Portrush County Antrim, then you needed to have your fake idea. But mm. what was hilarious is one of my friends once got on the bus and asked for a half to Kelly's. Which half price for under it sixteen? Kelly's over eighteen. Oh, I see. Okay. And, she, and the bus driver laughed, but then sold it to her. So there you go. Well. Oh well, lock them up. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging's too good for him, is what I say. <laughs> but yeah, um, but one of the things about this movie is that it was coming on the back of Shaun of the Dead, which mm. had opened mm. just mm. three years prior, and you know it was such a big success. And I love the fact that they decided to make their next movie. A very, very British, very, very you know, personal mm. film as well. But you also get a sense in this that, you know, Edgar, I think, is kind of unlocked by the success of, of Shaun the Dead. There's some incredibly, wonderfully creative um, leaps and stretches that he makes in this, in this in this movie. Not least starting from that opening montage of Nicholas Angel. Yeah. Well, well, I think things like the, like the fence gag you're talking about are way out of kilter from what you've seen in, in Sean and Space beforehand. And I think the reason I didn't watch Sean and the Dead at the time is because I thought Space was done so well and so perfectly. I was like, how? there's no way you can replicate this again. There's no way you can capture that genie in the bottle, which he did in Sean. And then I was like, 
there's no way he can do him hot fuzz, but I'm going to make sure I'm there at least, and he, and he does it again. Mm. But that um, fence gag, for me, is still mm. visually... You see Nick Angel jumping over. How is he doing that in the first place? Then he does a side somersault sort over. Of then Nick Frost <laughs> follows after straight up. So in that in that fifteen second span, there's four or five little gags going on there, mm. and it's just mm. chef's kiss after chef's kiss after, yeah, after chef's kiss, isn't it? But then you look back at Spaced, and it has so much of that same kind of detail, mm. that same kind of careful building of jokes, the same kind of you know moving pieces into place that you don't even notice to pay off like twenty minutes later. I I just think like they they. They're so good at what they do, yeah. to be perfectly honest. And and they have developed those skills so consistently through, and you see it absolutely develop, as you say, through Space, through Sean, through Hot Fuzz, uh, in, and, and through The World's End as well. You yeah. know, them bringing all of these things together and, and kind of just building and, and building in layers and layers and layers of storytelling and, and gag telling and just, oh, I love it. I just love it. He talks in that conversation with, with yourself, Chris, about it not being a parody and making the point mm. that the parody was... Mm. Mm. You know, the scary movie guys being parodic because they had to, you had to listen, you had to watch the film literally five minutes after the event had happened, otherwise it'd be out of out of kilter. But this is definitely a homage to a lot of he, he brought in the he brought in the cop buddy drama side of things, which is like I say it's a personal it's a personal story. But this cop buddy drama was amazing, hooking in Point Break, hooking in Bad Boys Two, <laughs> and what I loved about it is the way that he. There's people who haven't seen Point Break. People haven't seen Bad Boys Two, but it gives you the it gives you the scenes he's going to recreate yeah, later yeah. on. It gives you that little moment, and yeah. that is, I think that's that's a fantastic way to make sure everyone's on board with yeah. the story and make sure it doesn't. It always has that kind of relevance. And also, he doesn't harp on it. I mean, that the thing with those, especially the scary movie films mm. and the, the later ones, like you know, there are great spoofs out there. There are great parodies. Mm. The Naked Gun and things like that are freaking hilarious. But those scary movie movies. Re- like would lift entire scenes yeah. basically verbatim from yeah. the f- movie they were making fun of and play them with some kind of ridiculous gag at the end that was just kind of grafted on. What's what's different about this is it takes like the essence of some movies, it takes moments, as you say, of those mm-hmm. movies yeah. and plays with those, but it plays with them, it mm. adds them in, it weaves things around them, mm. it weaves them at least semi-naturally into the story. And yes, mm-hmm. it gives you that visual reference so you know I'm moving my camera like Michael Bay here. Yeah. I'm shooting my gun in the air and going out <laughs> like Keanu Reeves here. But it doesn't like harp on it for minutes and minutes. So if you yeah. don't really care about those films, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. You've yeah. missed one joke. There'll be another one long, as Chris says, in like mm. a second or two. Yeah, he's not doing a uh, Michael Bay impression at the end when it explodes into full-blown you know, gunfight mania. He's not doing a Tony Scott impression or a Peckinpah impression mm. or a John Woo impression. He's certainly informed and influenced by all those directors, but he's not, he's not trying to ape them. He's no. doing his very, very much his own thing. And, you know, he's always been a very, very confident director, um, quite clearly. But yeah, there's something about this movie because there's so much going on in this. This is one of my favorite edits of all time uh, in, mm. in this movie, which is the moment when um, Ron Cook gets killed in his, in his, in his house where, you know, obviously his, his big mansion blows up. But yeah. the killer knocks him on the head and he falls backwards. And as he falls backwards, we cut to... Um, uh, is it Simon or is it Danny? It's Simon, I think. It's Simon, I think. Slumping back on the sofa yeah. in Danny's house. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just... genuinely one of my favourite transitions of all time. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And there's so many moments like that throughout yeah. the film. Mm. The editing is just perfectly on point. I mean, Edgar talked about how difficult it was to cut Baby Driver together, that mm. opening sequence, exactly to the beat, exactly to the rhythms. Mm. But really, I feel like he's been training for that his whole career. Like The, mm. the, the editing is always so beautifully exact in his films. And the sound and the beats just so perfectly on form. It's, it's oh, I just think technically, I think it's really, really impressive. 
Yeah, and it always feels like Edgar throughout, even though he's referencing all these different directors and all these different films. But also, it's also inherently fresh always because it's in this rural British location and just that contrast of like the mundanity of like being in the supermarket and like these rural cops who um, aren't experienced with this sort of stuff like just juxtaposing those two things this big action with that really mundane rural setting just means it always feels fresh and it always feels funny Mm. whatever's happening. I have police officers in my family who will tell you that that kind of you know going out to a random crazy person's house is is much more what they do than anything sort yeah. of, you know, dangerous or, or violent or scary in, in town. And have they confirmed that, is it true that there's a place in a man's head where if you shoot, <laughs> it will blow up? They weren't allowed to tell me that. I guess that's a secret that's police ritual. If, yeah. if ever, once people find out yeah. that's the truth, yeah. we'll all be having a go. It's that and the five-point palm exploding hearts. Yeah. 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 Those two, if we find out those two are true, then we're, we're both, we're all screwed. We're all in trouble, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about Simon and, and Nick together uh, again as this incredible double act of of, uh, of Nicholas Angel and Danny Butterman, should we talk about the deep bench that this movie has? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because it has this incredible cast. I mean, so first of all, you have this sort of the, 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 the venerated older generation mm-hmm. of, of British actors, some of whom are sadly no longer with us, the likes of Edward Woodward and, and Billy Whitelaw are no longer with us. But you have amazing people. You have like Stuart Wilson Kenneth Cranham and yeah it's just it's wild and in, in that deep bench after watching Shameless and then re-watching it there's David Threlfall there mm-hmm. yes yep. like you, and so it's in a blink and you miss him and then Lucy Punch who's Lucy now Punch? all yep. over the place yep. in Motherland yep. one of my favourite people in the world mm-hmm. I love I love it when you revisit a film and then you revisit the first time or a previous time you, when you see the character um, and people like Adam Buxton who had, had loved since you know the late 90s 90s was the time before um, <laughs> Millennium <laughs> Book <laughs> <laughs> so I was alive. Ask your granny. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, I'm playing a bit part character there, but yep. still an important, and they all play important roles in, in this film. I've forever known Lucy Punch as whenever I see her in anything now, and when I see her in Motherland, I'm like, that's, that's the hot fuzz woman <laughs> oh, with the funny laugh. <laughs> that's like my reference point for her, like oh. even now. <laughs> that's, that's why they decided to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's not because she works with the council. It's no. because she's got an annoying laugh. It's like and Tim Bessinger, not because he's getting close to the truth. It's because he's an appalling spell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's a message for us all there uh, in terms of using spell check and, and grammar check and everything else. I think uh, as well, I think it, it's a testament to how much people love Shaun of the Dead, actually. Mm. You know, because if you get... Steve Coogan and Bill Nye and Martin Freeman coming mm. in for presumably a morning yeah. to mm-hmm. shoot those London scenes. You know, that's because they love your work. That's presumably not for the money because it's a British film. Um, it's just because they wanted to be part of something that looked incredibly cool and fun. Kate Blanchett, and literally yeah. blink and you'll miss mm-hmm. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, I did first yeah. time around, yeah. Uh, yeah. in fairness. Yeah, and Peter uh, Jackson. Peter Jackson, yeah. of course, do you is remember the those, stab Santa. Do you remember those great making of videos that they both did around this yes. time? That was so fun. That's right. Do you remember the one that um, Simon and Nick were doing their workout <laughs> routines? Oh, no. no, they were doing their workout routine and, uh, and it was it was full of homoerotic imagery. It was, it was, <laughs> it was absolutely glorious where, you know, <laughs> Simon, Simon was like this and then Nick was doing a push-up, uh, doing a sit-up and it made it look like he was giving Simon a blowjob. Anyway... <laughs> 
<laughs> but they, they had the one where Edgar was getting really, really tired because he'd been doing all these night shoots. And then he heard that, uh, he remembered that Peter Jackson was in town. He thought, brilliant, I can get Peter Jackson to take over for a day yeah. while I'm mm. doing all these night shoots. And, uh, and and Peter Jackson was too busy doing brass rubbings with, with, <laughs> with, with Nick and Simon, which is one of my favorite little no, behind-the-scenes gags ever. I don't remember. Oh, it was fun. That's <laughs> funny. I'll look, I'll look it up. Uh, once I have finished watching Hot Fuzz on ITV2 tonight, uh, <laughs> I love Bill Nighy's little cameo in this. Yeah. By the way, there's a, there's a moment where um, <laughs> there's a moment where Nicholas Angel says something back to him. He challenges him. He challenges him on his decision to send him to Sanford, and and Bill Nighy basically makes a really failed threat about basically having him disappear. And he does this little <laughs> thing with his top lip. It's just like, oh god. <laughs> It's kind of terrifying in a, in a weird way. Don't get on the wrong side of Bill Nye is mm. the lesson I take from this movie. <laughs> That's the lesson. Amongst but then others. it turns out he was, you know, he he was in the wrong all along. He yeah. needed Nicholas Angel there. He did. He, he wasn't did. just making them look bad. He was keeping the crime statistics low single-handedly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a very good payoff for that whole relationship. Yeah. Yes. And talking of the deep bench, we need to give a shout out to Paddy Considine mm. and oh, Rave Spall as the Andes. Yeah, they're like my favorite part. Why are they called Andes? Why do you know why they call the Andes? Mm. <laughs> I assume they're called Andrews. So. Yeah. <laughs> Just the throwing of the filing cabinet, the sunglasses, even in the pouring rain yeah. when they're at the crime scene at the church. Like, why are they still wearing sunglasses? It's like, he looks at his watch. I'm surprised to find I should be at the pub. <laughs> um, the little look back that Paddy Constantine does. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, which was improved. Yes. Yeah. So the little little kind of look back, and then he ducks out of frame, and he ducks back in again. Oh, oh it's it's think, so good. I think they're my favorite like side characters. Just every I, every moment of theirs is just glorious. I do love both Bill Bill Bailey's. Yeah. <laughs> just because I'm a very big Ian M. Banks fan. Yeah. So I love the Ian Banks, Ian M. Banks gag. Even though you can barely see it on screen. <laughs> yeah. Even when I know to look for it, I can barely make out the book covers. I haven't noticed that. Have you not noticed no. that? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, so one one Bill Bailey twin is reading Ian Banks and the other <laughs> one is reading Ian M. Banks. That's very clever. <laughs> See, they fucking think of this <laughs> they shit. They think of this shit. They don't just... Yeah, listen, all you improvisational comedians, I respect <laughs> what you do, but honestly, take some time to think about this shit. I swear to God, the layering is beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Python didn't improvise. They wrote it down first. <laughs> Try that, Apatow. <laughs> respect you. Admire your work. But still, what about Simon and <laughs> what about Simon and Nick then? Oh God, aren't they just adorable together? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage. Cage. Oh. I think he's terrible as Nicholas Cage. In this film, but he's great as Nicholas Angel. Nicholas Angels are cameo. really yeah. No, can you imagine? He plays a swan. Yeah. His his range is second to none. Uh, because Nicholas Angel and Gary King are both kind of very challenging protagonists in mm. that they're not entirely easy to like yeah. initially. But um, Nicholas Angel, I think, in particular, uh, wins people around. It's a very interesting departure, I think, from from Sean and Sean of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Well, when he when he first turns up at the pub and kicks all the kids out, <laughs> I just feel I felt sorry for the for the landlords at the time. I just think that's half, that's a third of their well, no, more loads of their income, yeah. more loads of their income just gone straight out of the door, and he sat there mm. with. His cranberry juice. <laughs> With his cranberry juice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just a life. When, when he actually has his first drink afterwards and gets drunk off it, it's is brilliant. But um, that's the kind of person he was. He just felt, oh, I'm going to kick all the underage kids out of the, yeah. the, the pub. And that's that's him down to a T. And that's excellent character development. Extra, excellent mm. uh, exposition there of, of Nick and his position. Yeah. 
it, sorry, it's just reminded me of the the bit later in the film where he asks about the oh, no, it's it's in that scene, isn't it? Um, yeah. What kind of wine do you have? Well, we've got red and white. <laughs> and, <beer. Yeah. laughs> and it's such a different Simon Pegg. Like mm. we've never seen him like that. Just so straight faced. Like he bet he. I don't think he smiles till like forty minutes in, an hour in. Like Nicholas doesn't mm. even smile until I think he's round Danny's house and they're watching. Point Break, I think. That would make isn't isn't it the um? It's the scene in the pub, isn't it? It's the Uncle, oh. Der- it's the Uncle Derek. That yes. that moment is when they they really begin to first bond. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Uncle Derek. Yes. <laughs> then he was arrested. Oh, what a cunt! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love it. Get, there's a few sea bombs in this, isn't there? Mm. There are, yeah. yeah. And of course, one of the best jokes in the movie <laughs> is the swear box, as yeah. we talked about yeah. with with Edgar Simon, where everything where everything is asterisked except cunt, <laughs> 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 which, which is two pounds a pop. So I now owe four pounds. Yes, wow. yeah. Good if we had if we had a thank you yeah. <laughs> two two by two pounds weigh them carry the three yes yeah, it's, it's four pounds it's four pounds I will I will make that payable afterwards uh, who knows maybe we can throw a few more in have we, uh, have we sworn uh, oh, since um, otherwise fuck no uh, five pounds bing 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 <laughs> it's all good I'm just, you know, I, I started off swearing do you want to be a big Part in the model, Philly, fuck off, fuck up the model, Philly. Yeah, oh, God, go. how much, have I, how oh, much am I in for? You owe, you owe a fortune. I owe um, a fortune. But yeah, no, but I think, I think the thing about Nicholas Angel is we kind of learn to love him through Danny falling mm. in love with him in a weird way, you know, because this shambling wreck of a child man, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, brings out a kind of... Pub? <laughs> 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 it's it's the diagonal move across his torso. It's, it's, it's miraculous. It's glorious, and I, I, I'm I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do, which is basically just now quote the film and yeah. dissolve into laughter. But that's what it is. But it, that's what it is, and and like Nicholas Nick Fro- Nicholas Nicholas <laughs> Nicholas Frost. Nicholas Nick Frost. Frost is so freaking good at what mm. he does. He mm. is such a such a funny man, and just the the little moments that he makes in this film, even when Danny isn't really doing anything, even when he isn't the focus of a scene. If you watch what he's doing in the background, his reactions yeah. are precious. He's they are so sweet wonderful. in this film. He is so adorable. I mean, yeah. he's just like a big teddy bear. He, uh, and then the this. bit where he's holding the big monkey. Does he and... mean me or that? <laughs> 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 when he got. <laughs> I honestly don't know what you mean. <laughs> when they're running after the shoplifter and they realise that he knows him, he's like Uncle whoever's brother's sister's boy. Yeah. Why do you see him? He's like, I'm not made of eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the delivery is just perfect every time. There's a couple of bits where he runs in just a, a hilarious yeah. fashion as well. He's just he's a he's genuinely comedy genius. I love him in this. Yeah. When you first when you first find out he's actually a police officer. Yeah. Like, yeah. When Nick Angel himself. throws him into the drunk tank, <laughs> and then he opens it up the next morning. He's like, where is he? And then Nick, he just pops the police. Where is he? Where's he gone? <laughs> It's glorious. The swear box. Uh, so, uh, knob is 10p. <laughs> bastard is 20p. Uh, and bastard is B-A-S exclamation mark asterisk R-D. Uh, shit, S-H upside down exclamation mark T is 50p. Fuck. <laughs> F asterisk smiley face K is a pound. <laughs> And cunt is two pounds. <laughs> All proceeds to the restoration of the church roof. Mm. That, uh, that if only it had gone. If only they'd sworn more. Yeah. Yeah. 
He might still be alive. Oh my God. Who are Tim Tim, Messenger? Tim Messenger would still be alive. Tim Messenger would still be alive. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, So, uh, yeah, what is your favorite joke then in Hot Fuzz? I'm going to reiterate the NWA one because I think it's just, (laughs) it extends beyond the film to like when I watch Straight Out Compton now, it's a comedy. (laughs) 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 I can't not think of NWA as in. Dr. Dre's crew without mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. Neighborhood Watch Alliance. <laughs> There's no way you can do it. There's no way you can do it. It's just beautiful. It's, it's, uh. As they intended. Yeah, exactly. They, they wanted to ruin NWA for everybody exactly. forevermore. It is such a good gag. The swear box is an incredible mm. gag for me. Um, I, I also love... <laughs> I, uh, I also love when um, the swan's out... <laughs> Oh, and yeah. Stephen Merchant calls up and it's like, what's your name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Peter Instaker. Yeah, you know, Piss Taker. Oh, come oh, on. And then the cut. The cut. So. Terribly sorry, Mr. Staker. Is <laughs> just, just, you know, asking just for kiss. a description of the swan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Stephen Merchant very straight facedly trying to describe neck. the swan was, was pretty He's like, great. anything else? <laughs> Stephen Merchant's like, well, he's oh. a swan. <laughs> also, I just love when the swan pops up in the car at the yeah. back with Jim Broadbent because, like, you've almost kind of forgotten about the swan. Yeah. They see it don't they and they like get it in the car and then like <laughs> Robert's driving off and you think oh and then you kind of forget about it and it just pops <laughs> horror film horror swan so good I think yeah. the NARP is NARP. Uh, NARP 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 <laughs> yeah it's so good YARP and NARP uh, it, this is a film I quote yeah a lot mm. Uh, even little, even little things, yeah, he does. Um, even little things like David Threlfall when he goes, "Stop writing." <laughs> I say that I, it doesn't even. No one has to be writing necessarily. I'll just go, "Stop writing." I feel like I used be, to say, "No one tells me nothing." A lot. No one tells me nothing. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Style. Yeah, I love the the fact that the fact the amateur the Amdrum group are recreating. They're doing the um, they're doing <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, but they're doing Baz Luhrmann, yeah, <laughs> and finishing off with Loveful yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> love me, love me, say. That whole kind of setup is just brilliant. It's, I, yeah, it's, and, it, and you can absolutely see someone doing like yeah. like that is that is if you've grown up in a small town, that is a hundred percent what someone yeah. would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's brilliant because you're pretty sure no one involved in that play has ever actually read the entire play of Romeo and Juliet. Like it's just, it's kind of magic. I love mm. it. I love Skinner turning up the next day, um, driving past the scene of the traffic collision, <laughs> oh. uh, playing Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. <laughs> I mean, he is one of the great villains, isn't he? He's just yeah. extraordinary. Wasn't yeah. one of the background sounds um, after the explosion? Fire. Fire. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, Everything he does word. is perfect. Yes, uh, I've just been put in mind as well of the uh, the joke just before Ron Cook dies when they're in the pub, and uh, and uh, Jim Broadbent comes up to uh, Simon Pegg, comes up to Nicholas Angel and goes, "I think someone's had a bit too much to drink," and he he looks at he looks at <laughs> yeah. Danny and Danny's like, "No, Danny's fine." And it's like, like then they pan across and they see Ron Cook <laughs> pissing by the fruit machine. Like, oh, this guy. <laughs> 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 I love it so much. Oh my word! Jim Broadbent is also very good. Oh. Oh, like yeah. he's so avuncular and so big, big bushy beard. Yeah, and and so kind of 
reassuring at mm. so many points through the film. And and there were lots of those little kind of redirects where Nick Angel thinks he's talking about one thing and he's actually talking about something completely different. But but generally speaking, he's such a great character. But there is, if you watch when you watch mm-hmm. it again, once you know, mm-hmm. there are so many little touches there. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Because it's 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 a dark film. It's a, really it's a dark, dark film. Yeah. As I as I said to Edgar and Simon, it's a dark film. I mean, the, the decision to have Danny's dad be the ringleader of the bad guys, and, and not just the bad guys, you know, which again is something that runs through all their movies. That you know that you have your heroes standing up against this this cabal of of shadowy figures that can stand stand in for anything, whether it's zombies or the NWA and this, or you know, just the smashy smashy Eggmen in the world's end. <laughs> you know, it's something that even runs through. Even in um, Last Night in Soho, you have this yeah, this, yeah. this run this this theme running through of uh, all Edgar's work, but it's really dark. You know, the, the decision to do that with Frank is as dark, I would argue, as what they do with Barbara, um, Sean's mum in Shaun of the Dead. Mm. Um, the, the, the message I'm taking away from a lot of Edgar Wright's movies is that he hates pensioners. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow! I know we're going to go there. He's but, not yeah. afraid to kick them in the face. He's not afraid to kick them in the face. He's not afraid to have them being run over by. A taxi. He's stabbed he's stabbed by their own shears. Stabbed by their own oh, shears. A, yeah, turned into zombies. That's with me for a yeah. long time when I first mm. watched that film. Oh yeah, that's that's not <laughs> Where good. Where she's like flailing around in the shop and you see her through the window. Yeah. One, one of my favorite grievances that the NWA has in Sanford is the living statue, oh. <laughs> and the way that pays out when Nick Nick Angel falls through the yeah. through the floorboards. I can't remember, can't remember how that happens, but into that into that cavern where great big bushy beard is there, yeah. and the guy that the big cha- bushy beard, the guy they're chasing. And the yeah. and the kids are hanging the out, kids. and, a li- and a living statue. That's that's a horrible scene. Dark, right? <laughs> Very true. Very true. A lot of people being killed in this one. Uh, the living statue, by the way, is played by Graham Lowe, who is an old friend of of Edgar's, who uh, was also in a Fistful of Fingers. Okay, which is Edgar's first movie, um, and not many people think about it as his first movie because it's not. I still don't think it's commercially available, um, but it, it was released. You mm-hmm. think he directed it when he was twelve or something <laughs> like that? Uh, no, it was like he was, but he was he was eighteen, nineteen when he when he directed it. Yeah, he does it, it. got a theatrical um, release. It does mm-hmm. a Prince Charles cinema every now and again, and he'll yes. do a Q and A with it. Yeah. Yes, in fact, I've 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 done this oh. um, occasionally with him. But um, yeah, it get, it got one star in Empire Magazine. Yes, which he he has mentioned <laughs> on, on a few occasions. On a few occasions. Um, anything else you want to say about Hot Fuzz? Any uh, any other bits? Any other lines? Any other characters that you have? You have a great love for. Um, I have to say, <laughs> he's not Judge Judy and Executioner. <laughs> one of my favorite lines. Line. So good. It's just a it's just a lovely film. It is. Mm. And each time I watch it, I have to watch then Point Break and well, I, I miss Bad Boys. I skip on Bad Boys. See, too. I don't like Bad Boys too. No, it's it's too long. It's too bombastic. Mm. It does have a scene where Martin Lawrence has an erection, um, <laughs> and that should be enough for any film. <laughs> I would say. To say nope. Yeah. No no, is, does Martin Lawrence have an erection, or does the the corpse have an erection? Not sure oh, which gosh. is better. <laughs> I blocked that out. I think I don't remember. I don't know. Might take uh, a there's up. a very good piece about the first Bad Boys rather than Bad Boys Two for the most part in the Will Smith autobiography that came out last year. Oh yes, very, yes, very yes. Worth reading. Really yes, good book. Indeed. In fact, I interviewed Michael Bay recently, and we talked a little bit about Bad Boys Two, but I didn't tell him I didn't like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't know. It's just it's one of those movies. Like I can I can see why those movies would have been chosen by Edgar and Simon to be the ones that that Danny Butterman would would you know, deify almost. 
but Point Break is a worthy Point Break. Point Break. As is, of course, the remake. Obviously, not the original. (laughs) (laughs) Ericsson Um, Core. Oh no. As of course is he's the cop who can't be stopped. He's the cop. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> love that little moment. Who can't yeah. be stopped. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing stuff. It's it's an amazing it's stuff. An amazing. It's stuff. an amazing stuff. And what flavour of cornetto is it in this one? It's vanilla, isn't it? Vanilla is yeah. regular original. With the brain gives him the brain freeze. And what is it? Strawberry and Sean. Strawberry and Sean. Yeah. Mint in that makes sense. The world's green for aliens. Yeah. I just remembered when you were talking there about, you know, us knowing that they were making this film, largely because they announced it, uh, and asking them stuff about it for a couple of years. Uh, I just remembered that uh, I did an interview with Edgar for the website a few months. They were, they were just working on this. And I can't remember what, the, what, I, what, what I was interviewing him about. But I was asking him about this movie. I said, oh, how's the new one coming along? He went, oh, it's great. And he, he told me loads of stuff about it, including the title. And this is before, like, he wouldn't do this nowadays, but this is before they had announced the title. And so I, I took to the website and I wrote, Edgar Wright talks about his new movie, and I buried the title in the eighth paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even lead with it, you know. It was a very different time. It was a very different time, a more innocent more innocent age. But, uh, but there you go. It is what it is. Uh, all right. Well, unless there's anything else you want to talk about? Just life in general? Just, I mean, life's okay for me at the moment. Some people are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I feel all right. Downer. The guy, I, <laughs> the guy I feel most guilty about laughing at each time is when he sidekicks the old lady in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't work. I it think he's so... fine. She's trying to kill him. <laughs> like true. different rules apply. You know, I feel like there has to be a limit to both one's respect for one's elders and one's you know Safety. gentlemanliness sure. towards the opposite sex. And I feel like that limit is when they are trying to shoot you dead. Fine. <laughs> So I, I am I, I I give you permission as, as the representative of old ladies here <laughs> um, to laugh at that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, on that note, I think I owe about fourteen and a half thousand pounds to the church <laughs> restoration fund. So I'm off to try and make that back. A couple of couple of shifts to Summerfield should see me good. Yeah. Uh, because that is it for our Hot Fuzz Retro Sporter Special. I hope you guys have enjoyed us basically just reciting lines in the movie and then giggling like idiots. Uh, <laughs> as much as we enjoyed it uh, it is goodbye to my three colleagues of such a lethal cunning Kobe Omanaka you're off the fucking chain you're off the fucking chain <laughs> <laughs> Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll for Sophie Butcher I haven't got a good hopeful score oh. <laughs> I don't know, I was like, my, my brain was going think of a good one to say think of a good one to say and I haven't got one I'm not made of eyes <laughs> I'm not made of quotes <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. I'm the cop who can't be stopped. I know I just said it, but I just, now it's in my head. That's all I can think of. Just love it. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. (laughs) Toodaloo. Uh, uh, And I'm off to Heston Services, a place I cannot think of now without thinking about hot fuzz. (laughs) What an incredible place. Uh, Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yarp. Yarp. Yarp.